Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Talking Hockey Sense. I'm Chris Peters. We're back with another edition. It's episode 57 of the podcast, and hockey season is in full swing. We're only waiting on one more league to get going, and that's the ECHL. That starts this week on Flow Hockey, so really excited to have the entire hockey landscape basically in action going forward for the rest of the season. So plenty to get to today. We're going to do another Q&A episode. We've got a lot to get to because we've got NHL rookies making their debuts. We've got college hockey to talk about, the USHL. Obviously, with the ECHL starting, I want to give you a little bit of a, a preview of what's to come on Flow Hockey. And as a reminder, if you are listening to this podcast on your app of choice, thank you very much. Continue to uh, subscribe to that if you haven't yet. Also, leave a kind rating and review to help us get the word out about the podcast. And you can also watch this podcast and watch me say the words that you're listening to right now on flowhockey.tv. Just look for Talking Hockey Sense, and it will be up every single week. So a lot to get to. Don't want to waste a lot of your time because there is a lot going on in the hockey world. As I mentioned, the NHL started last week, and that's where we're going to start today. We're going to talk a little bit about the rookies that made their debuts because a lot of these guys technically they're still prospects until uh you know they are uh lose their calder eligibility which none of these guys that we're going to talk about have um they're all eligible for the calder trophy this year which of course is the rookie of the year we got to talk about how they've been doing at the very early stages of the season and well you know there's a lot of great rookies we have a piece over on flow hockey right now about the 20 youngest rookies that made NHL opening night rosters. Now, some of those players have already been sent to the American League, like Simon Nemich from the New Jersey Devils. They had him on the opening night roster. They eventually ended up sending him to the Utica Comets, where he is going to play and is already playing very well. Uh, but, you know, there are a lot of other guys that, that did make their NHL debuts last weekend. And, and young players, guys like Uri Slavkovsky, of course, the number one overall pick, Shane Wright, uh, the number four overall pick from the last draft. So going to be very interesting to see kind of what those teams do with some of those young prospects, but plenty more to talk about. So the first rookie that I want to get to today is a guy that, you know, he played for the National Team Development Program in the USHL. Uh, he played for the University of Michigan, and he got some really good opportunities last season at the end of the year with the Seattle Kraken. And I'm talking, of course, about Matty Beneers. Of the rookies that have played so far, he's been the most impactful he has really been uh, the number one center. And, and we saw it last year. We saw last year with the Kraken. He was a guy that made an immediate impact. And it looked like, and I even said this on the podcast last year, I thought he was the best player on the Kraken the second he stepped on the ice as a rookie. And we're talking about a team that has guys like Jordan Eberle and Jaden Schwartz and 
now they've got others like uh, Andre Burakovsky and um, uh, uh, Oliver Bjorkstrand. So they've got a lot of better talent, but now they've got Matty Beniers as their number one center. And this is guys his first year in the league. And I think the reason that Matty Beniers has played so well, it's not just because he's super fast, which we've seen. It's not because he's skilled. It's because he's one of the smartest players among this rookie class. His hockey sense is off the charts. And that is really where we're seeing him make that impact. He can make the high level reads. He can make the right decisions with the puck. And then he also has the work ethic on top of it to make it all come together. And so Matty Benier is looking right now like the favorite to win the Calder Trophy. It's a long season. We don't want to read too much into the first weekend, but you go back to last year, you know, nine points in the 10 games that he played with the Kraken right after his college career. And we're looking at a guy that's an instant impact rookie, and that's what you want. So he's he's playing upwards of 18 to 19 minutes a game so far. He's getting the reps. He's on the power play. So all the things that you need to have to have a successful rookie season, Matty Beneers has all that and more. You just don't typically see a guy that's going to be a number one center right off the bat. So it's been a lot of fun to watch him. And, and he's a guy that I've been watching play hockey since he was 16 years old. Um, you know, followed him all the way through the ranks. He's always overachieved uh, and and has done a lot more uh, than anybody would really expect of him. And he's he's grown, he's gotten stronger, and he's gotten faster. And, you know, I was thinking back to last year when he's playing at the University of Michigan. I thought he was exceptional, one of the top prospects in hockey, no question. Now I look at him in the NHL and I think he's a better player today than he was at this time last year, and, he, and he's playing in the best league in the world. I mean, it's just truly remarkable. On the other end of the spectrum, did want to talk about Shane Wright because he did make his NHL debut, played a little under seven minutes in his only NHL game to date. He was healthy scratch the next two games, and we're starting to wonder, okay, what is the Kraken's plan here with Shane Wright? He goes all through last season as the presumptive number one prospect. As we get closer to the draft, it starts kind of leaking out that, you know, hey, he maybe he's not going to go number one. Then he goes number four, and now he's in this situation where he's trying to prove people wrong, and he wants to make sure that you know, everybody knows that he's still a top prospect. Well, you need opportunity to do that, and you have to earn the opportunity. And when you're a young rookie like Shane Wright is, you know, those opportunities are not going to be, once you get them, you have to really seize them. And so the question is, is what's really going to happen? Are, are the Kraken just easing him in to this, uh, this situation here? Is, are they just trying to get him reps and, and get him, you know, a few games here and there? Is that really beneficial for his long-term development? Now, I think Matty Beniers is, is the future face of the Kraken, but Shane Wright is going to be a very important piece for their future. And, you know, it wasn't a mistake that they drafted him. It wasn't, you know, they, they even though he fell to four, they have to feel fortunate because they know they have a really good player. But Shane Wright, if he isn't going to play, they don't have many options with him. They can't send him to the AHL. They would have to send him to the OHL to play for Kingston, which I don't think is a bad option. I think that, that I've been saying that on, on other podcasts and other, you know, as, as I've been writing as well and in our piece about the young rookies, you know, I think that Shane Wright definitely needs to uh, get some more seasoning. He didn't dominate the OHL last year. He played very well, but he didn't dominate the league. Like we've seen so many players before they come to the NHL, they dominate the league that they're at. They arrive ready to make an impact. And I don't think that we saw that with Shane Wright. And I don't know that's necessarily the right position to put him in given the, the current situation with the Kraken. So keep an eye on that guy, on that situation, because he very well could go back to Kingston, which I don't think is a failure. I don't think it's a problem. I actually think it's probably the right move, but maybe he'll stick around for a while. And 
I don't think the Kraken are terribly concerned about burning the first year of his entry-level contract. Now, each team will get up to, to nine games to play a player. If they, they send him back, you know, he has an opportunity to you know, continue to have that entry-level deal slide. The other thing the Kraken have to decide is what makes the best business sense in addition to making the best developmental sense for Shane Wright. And if it is keeping him with the big club, keeping him learning, getting him enough reps to get by, you know, then that maybe that works. But I don't think it makes either good business sense or good developmental sense for him to be sitting on the bench and to hit for him to not be playing. I think the best place for him is probably Kingston. It's going to be difficult to send him back because obviously he has high expectations for himself. The organization has high expectations from him. But the most important thing the Kraken have to do right now is put him in the position to, to have the best long-term developmental arc here because he took a step back at, at various points last season. There were things that he can learn. Don't just have him riding the pine and, and sitting in the press box. It's just not worth it for him, and, it, and it's certainly not worth it for the Kraken to continue to do that. Also, you know, the number one prospect, Uri Slavkovsky, he did get some minutes. They were more measured minutes. You know, I think that it's, it's looking like he's going to have a harder time making an impact. He's still transitioning from being a European pro going into the NHL. Um, you know, I've, I've been on the, the Athletic Hockey Show, another podcast with my good friend Corey Promen and, and Max Boltman. And we were talking about how Uri Slavkovsky, you know, is it the best place for him to be in Montreal right now? Or should he go to the AHL where he can play for Laval, get the minutes that he needs to, to kind of feel like a top six guy? And really, the, the issue with that is, is that the spotlight is still pretty bright in Laval. You know, you're still in Quebec. You've still got all the Canadians fans that want to see what you're doing. And there's a lot of pressure in the bright spotlight. I don't think Slavkovsky's concerned about that. I don't think the, the Canadians are either. But I also think that they have to make sure that he's playing in a position where he's going to be able to be that kind of guy that they expect him to be, which is a top six winger who can score goals. And as of right now, there's nothing wrong with how he's played. I think he's played fine. But it's just he's kind of in a limited role right now. And is that really going to benefit him in the long term? So don't be surprised if he does go to the AHL for a bit. I know there's even been some that suggest maybe he should go back to Europe. I personally think he should stay in North America, go no lower than the AHL, and have an opportunity to to build confidence and learn because the AHL is a tough league, and if you can produce in that league, you got a chance. All right. Also wanted to talk a little bit about the defensemen um, because there are a lot of great young defensemen. The guys that I was most excited to see, obviously, Owen Power, the 2021, or the, uh, the 2020, yeah, 2021 first overall uh, draft pick for the Buffalo Sabres. I think he looks very strong, very confident. Uh, Sabres look decent. You know, they they definitely are are kind of still on the cusp. They're not quite ready to be like that, uh, you know, definite playoff contender, but they're at least being competitive now and they don't look so bad. So I think Owen Power's in a really good spot. He's already averaging, you know, upwards of 20 to 20, 22 minutes a night while he's playing with the Sabres. Jake Sanderson of the Ottawa Senators, no surprise to see him being one of the top defensemen right away. It's just his arc has been a rapid one. It reminds me a little bit more of Kale McCarr's, not to the same degree because Kale McCarr was at a level above where Jake Sanderson is, especially offensively. But Jake Sanderson's an elite skater, got great minutes with the Ottawa Senators, was second behind Thomas Shabbat in his NHL debut. And, you know, he defended well. He was getting pucks out. He was moving pucks very well. Um, so I think that he's in a really good position as it, as it stands right now to be an impact rookie. I think Jake Sanderson's going to be one of those guys that 
floats under the radar for the Calder, but all of a sudden you look up and he's got like 20 points and you're like, how did that happen? You know, so that's going to be a thing where, uh, you know, just continue to watch him because I think his minutes are going to rise. He played penalty kill. He played power play. He, he's an all situations defenseman. So that's a great sign for a young guy like him. And also sticking with the Montreal Canadiens, Caden Gooley played over 22 minutes in his NHL debut. I like the player a lot. I think he's a great skater. He's got the physicality. He's got the strength. I think he's probably going to be, you know, an everyday NHLer for the, the entire season. I don't expect him to put up a lot of points this year. I don't expect Montreal to be particularly good this year, but I do expect Caden Gooley to take the steps necessary to be an everyday NHL defenseman. Really like what I saw from him in that opening game. Watched a lot of that game and, and it just the poise that he plays with at his age. It's, it's really difficult to teach that. So Caden Gooley looking really strong. Another defenseman we wanted to talk about, Brant Clark. Los Angeles Kings makes his NHL debut at 19. Didn't make the Canadian World Junior team last year, which raised eyebrows. And based on how he was playing, I didn't have a problem with it. And I didn't think that he would be able to make an impact in the NHL this season. But his first couple games looked pretty strong. He's getting you know good minutes where he's, he's not completely sheltered, but it's certainly measured minutes for him. Getting a lot of puck touches, moving pucks well. He's playing with maturity. You know, I think that defensively and strength-wise, he still has a way to go, uh, a ways to go. He, he he also the skating still needs to improve, but it's not holding him back at the NHL level like I thought it could because he thinks the game at a pretty high level. Hockey sense can really cover up a lot of different things if you think the game fast enough, and I think that Brant Clark does. That's why we're we're seeing him have some success very early on here with the Los Angeles Kings. The big question is, is the Kings are a team that is looking to compete and contend in the playoffs. I think they have a feeling, you know, feelings that, hey, we can go on a run here with this group as we have it. You know, bringing in Kevin Fiala. You still have Andre Kopitar. You still have Drew Doughty. You know, Jonathan Quick is playing at a high level. You need a little bit more. You know, is Cal Peterson going to take that next step as the goaltender? There are a lot of questions left there. But the biggest one that they have to decide, you know, not just for this year, but for their future, is what's the right thing to do with with Brant Clark. Just because he looks good in those first couple NHL games doesn't mean you want to get yourself into a situation where, yep, he's staying and there's no other option. I think you have to make sure that he, he's got to be a player that's evaluated day by day by day. It can't just be, you know, he's, he's in. Um, and I don't think that fans should expect that he is the finished product now because there's a lot that he still needs to get better at to be the best Brant Clark he can be because he is an exceptional talent. I mean, his, his ability to handle the puck, his ability to absorb pressure, those are the things that we're seeing from him that, that are, is going to give him a chance to play for a long time in the league. But don't make it too much too soon. One other player I wanted to touch on was Wyatt Johnson. Scored a goal in his first NHL game uh, for the Dallas Stars. Here's a guy that missed an entire season because of COVID. The Dallas Stars didn't care about that. They drafted him in the first round anyway. The only time I had seen him play in his draft year was the same time the Dallas Stars had seen him play in his draft year, which is the Under-18 World Championship in 2020, uh, 2021 in Texas. And he was okay there. He was down the lineup. He didn't really have as much of an impact. But Dallas was banking on his rookie season in the OHL being enough to show this is a guy that's on a trend way up. Last year, he was the OHL's MVP. This year, he makes the NHL opening night roster, one of the younger players in the NHL right now, and he makes an immediate impact for his team. Very strong showing from him. He's another guy where if you know you have to send him back to junior, if he's not going to be on your everyday roster, 
He's making a statement to be there now. It'll be very interesting to see how that all shakes out. But a lot of great rookies across the NHL, many more that we, you know, we haven't gotten to in this podcast, but it's a great year to be watching the rookies and to, to be very excited. Um, I do have some questions later that'll touch on some of the guys that we haven't talked about yet, like Elmer Soderblom from the Detroit Red Wings, who is a personal favorite of mine. <coughs> Excuse me. All right. As I mentioned at the top of the show, the ECHL is starting its season on Friday, October 21st. We will have every single game throughout the entire ECHL season on Flow Hockey. Now, I didn't have a podcast last week. That's because I was working on a, a project that I'm super excited about with the uh, with, with an ECHL team. Uh, it'll be coming out on Flow Hockey. It's a, a little bit of a, a mini documentary series that, that I hope that you guys are going to like a lot. Uh, spent some time working on it. Want to give a huge thanks to Dave Pavlina, who was uh, uh, operating the, uh, uh, the the cameras and doing just an amazing job out there with me. And I can't wait to show that to you. But it's going to be a little while, so hang tight. In the meantime, uh, you can check out on Flow Sports uh, or FlowHockey.tv. Uh, Mike Ashmore is coming up with all of the divisional previews. You get to see who's where. You know, ECHL teams and rosters changing off a lot, so it's always difficult to kind of know who's going where. Mike breaks that down a little bit, also provides a little outlook for each team. The Florida Everblades are the defending Kelly Cup champions. They beat the Toledo Walleye in the Kelly Cup finals last season. Florida should have another really strong team this year. They've got a lot of good talent. They've got veteran players. Toledo's another team that you should absolutely keep an eye on this year. They've got a lot of talent. Plus, the interesting thing about the Walleye and the interesting thing about the Detroit Red Wings organization um, so the Walleye are the ECHL affiliate of the Detroit Red Wings and the Grand Rapids Griffins. Well, the Griffins have a pretty loaded roster right now, and they also have a very crowded goaltending crease. That includes first-round draft pick Sebastian Cosa. So I was when I was at this, uh, to give you a little bit of a hint of, of what's coming your way, I was in uh, Toledo last week, and I was also uh, at their first exhibition game where Sebastian Cosa, who is one of the top goaltending prospects in the world, Played with the Toledo Walleye, had a tremendous game, uh, made 28 saves in a win, um, went right back up to Grand Rapids. It's going to be interesting to see. I don't have any insight, so I can't tell you. You know, like It'll be interesting to see what Detroit does with COSA because as we've seen over the last couple of years, NHL teams have made ECHL teams a very strong route for goaltender development. So even if they might not be sending their top prospects that are defensemen or skaters, they are sending their goalies there because what is the most important thing for a goaltender's development? Reps, getting shots, getting in game action, feeling the flow of a game. And now in the ECHL, there can be a lot of different things that, that make it more difficult on a goaltender. Maybe you don't always have the strongest decor in front of you. Maybe you've got a team on the other side that's got a lot of veteran players that's just that much better. And now you got to you know be the last line of defense against one of the best and highest scoring teams in the league. And so if Detroit decides that COSA should spend time in the ECHL. It's a great thing for them. We saw the Buffalo Sabres do that with Uka Pekalukinen. Um, we've seen uh, Calgary did it with uh, Chekalev last season. You know, uh, uh, Vegas has used uh, the goaltending pipeline as, as well. Um, you know, so they, they've had a lot of different uh, options. But I also think, you know, as I've been around the ECHL a bit more and certainly covering it for Flow Hockey and, and you know, I do some broadcasting uh, with the Iowa Heartlanders as well, you know, you, you see the benefit of having more than one option for players. You know, the, Detroit also sent down a couple of other guys, Trenton Bliss and uh, Kirill Tutayev. They came and played in that preseason game, and it gives them a chance to get good puck touches. They play on the power play. They get in these key situations. 
and allows him an opportunity. Now, if a player takes the right approach to any, you know, being sent down anywhere to the AHL, the ECHL, back to junior, they have a chance to really use that opportunity to get better and to put themselves on a stronger path towards the NHL. And I think that in the case of, especially the goalies in the ECHL, and especially if it's a guy like Kosa, who, who doesn't, you know, he just needs more pro reps. He's played junior hockey the last couple of years. He's a guy that I, I think is an exceptional talent. You need to get him playing time. And, and there's a very crowded crease in Grand Rapids with veteran guys that are going to help Grand Rapids win. Um, you know, so maybe Kosa needs to come down to the ECHL and he'll go to a really strong team with Toledo. So I love the option. You know, NHL doesn't really use it, uh, use its developmental paths like Major League Baseball does. It's something I've talked a lot about with, with my pal Corey Priman and others. You know, sometimes players need that extra little bump. They're not ready for the AHL, so maybe the ECHL is the best place for them. You know, it'd be nice to see kind of that double A, triple A to the to the pros and, and see how that goes. But very interesting there. <coughs> Sorry, again, getting it's you know what you can tell it's fall because it's getting all dry in here. And now the hockey season started, and I'm just talking a mile a minute because I'm excited because things are going well. So really excited to see where things go with the ECHL this season. Again, you can watch every game on flowhockey.tv. Uh, really excited to, to get that season going. We've got a huge slate of games on Friday. Um, you know, so, so make sure you check, out, check that out, flip around, see what's around. And, and also uh, a huge welcome to the newest team in the ECHL, the Savannah Ghost Pirates which might be one of the best names in hockey. All right, we got to move on now. And we'll start uh, going over to the USHL. Again, another Flow Hockey partner. Super excited to have them on. And if you have not been watching the USHL this year, you have been missing out. There have been some tremendous performances across the board. But currently, the leading goal scorer in the USHL is from the Chicago Seal. They actually have the top three scorers in the league. But Nick Boldenauer, who was drafted by the Toronto Maple Leafs last season, is the leading scorer in the USHL as we record this podcast. He has been a goal-scoring machine. And this is another case of players, you know, players that are drafted, there's always this rush to get him to the next level, to get him to the next step. Not so with Nick Boldenauer. He played for the Chicago Steel last year. He's playing for them again this year. And he is making an, he's getting an opportunity to be the guy. Last year, Adam Fantilli was the guy for that team. Nick Boldenauer was more of a secondary kind of guy. Now he is one of the top guys for his team. He is critical to their success, and he is living up to that right now. And we've seen Chicago really, and, and other teams across the USHL, get the benefit of guys that have that little bit of USHL experience. They get that extra year. You think about Sean Farrell a couple of years ago, now at the university, or now at Harvard. Um, you know, those, he, he, he thrived in his second stint in the USHL. He wasn't supposed to be there, but COVID sent him back, and that's what he did. And, and he, he was able to make a, a great name for himself. I think Nick Boldenauer is doing the same thing. Also wanted to, to touch on the youth movement in the USHL. I can't remember a year where there were so many 16-year-old players in the league that look like they're going to be superstars in the near future. We all knew about Macklin Celebrini. He was the top guy playing at Shattuck St. Mary's last year. He's now with the Chicago Steel. He was injured, only missed a week. He's already back, and he's producing once again you know, at a, at a very high clip. But you also over at the National Team Development Program, you got some really good players. Cole Iserman was kind of the more hyped-up guy, but James Hagens has been really interesting. He's, he's not draft eligible until 2025. He's a late 2006 birth date, so he's got to wait 
three years. He's he's got 23, 24, and then 25 is when he'll be uh, draft eligible. He has eight points through his first four USHL games, averaging two points a game. Haven't seen that since Jack Hughes was doing that a couple of years ago for the National Team Development Program. Of course, now a member of the New Jersey Devils and a former number one overall pick. I was talking to a scout not terribly long ago who said there's been a lot of focus on guys like Cole Iserman and some of the other bigger names. He said he thinks James Hagens might be one of the best young American players in that birth year and might be one of the best players in the world in that birth year. And his production so far, certainly showing it, did get a chance to see him live. Really special player. Um, but, you know, there, there's a, there are other players in this league that, you know, are, are young. We, Sasha Boyver, we've talked about him before. He is, he's d- done very well. He, he was a teammate of James Higgins at, at Mount St. Charles in Maine. But, you know, I think one of the other guys that's kind of flown under the radar that I think a lot of people are going to know very soon is Artem Levshunov, who plays for the Green Bay Gamblers. He's a six foot three, 205-pound, 16-year-old, not draft eligible until 2024 for the NHL. He's from Belarus, so there will no, be no international games where he can, you know, Belarus is currently banned from international competition because of what's going on uh, with the war in Ukraine with in, in Belarus. Belarus's involvement with Russia in that. They've been banned from international competition. So Artem Levshunov comes from Belarus. He played for the Belarusian national team last year. Comes to the Green Bay Gamblers, and he's already scoring goals. You know, he's he's got three goals already in his USHL season. That is a name that if you don't know it yet, mark it down now. I think he's going to be a pretty special player. I was just talking to somebody in the league last night who thought he might be uh, one of the best that he's seen come through at, at that age in the USHL as, as a defenseman. So keep an eye on Artem Levshunov from the Green Bay Gamblers and definitely keep an eye on the USHL. We'll have a lot more content coming your way. We've got some great pieces from Jordan McAlpine, uh, who is our USHL writer for Flow Hockey. Make sure you check those out. He's got a good story on Sam Harris, who's been a, a goal-scoring machine for the Sioux Falls Stampede. And he's got a lot more coming your way. So plenty more where that came from. All right. Maybe some of you already fast forwarded to this part because you really like the Q&A because these, these episodes seem to do pretty well when it's just me talking and you guys asking questions. But <coughs> before I get to that, and excuse me again, before I get to the Q&As, uh, I did want to talk a little bit about college hockey because we've got a great matchup coming up on Flow Hockey this weekend. It'll feature the University of Michigan at Lake Superior State University. Two games on October 21st and 22nd on Flow Hockey. And the reason I bring that up is because Adam Fantilli has played four NCAA games. He's largely considered one of the top three prospects for the 2023 NHL draft. He has eight points through his first four games in in college hockey. I got to stop coughing. He has four, four, uh, in through those four games, eight points. Now, Jack Eichel, played for Boston University, and in his freshman season, he had 71 points. It was the highest-scoring freshman season by a draft-eligible player and the highest-scoring by a freshman since Paul Correa, who had over 100 points in the early 90s. So best season ever by, you know, since the 90s, you know, in the modern era when it's much tougher to score, Jack Eichel was the gold standard for draft-eligible players. So Adam Fantilli, in the same position, Jack Eichel had seven points through his first four games, uh, and Adam Fantilli has eight. So pretty interesting to see that 
it's only four games. You don't want to read too much into it, and certainly things can go off the rails at any time. But Adam Fantilli is playing a dominant style already as a freshman. He's got the size, he's got the speed, and he's got the touch. And you know, he's been more of a goal scorer in his junior days. He's only got the one goal so far this season. So keep an eye on that one. Again, you'll see the University of Michigan at uh, at Lake Superior State on Flow Hockey. Great non-conference matchup. Lake State is looking pretty solid so far this season as well. They've got some really good returnees. They've got one of the highest scorers uh, returning from last year in Louis Boudon. They have a, a great uh, college free agent in Bankston. So you've got a lot of players that you can watch um, in that game. And obviously, the University of Michigan, uh, pretty solid. But they did lose to BU on Sunday. So uh, Jack Eichel's uh, former team gets a little revenge after Adam Fantilli had a three assist night on Friday when Michigan won that one nine to two. And also, just so you know, if you haven't already, every Wednesday I'll have a new power rankings featuring the top 16 teams in my eyes across college hockey um, in, in, on the men's side. So make sure you check that out on flowhockey.tv. If you look at our, our, our website, you see there's a, there's a ranking slot. We've got power rankings for the USHL, the ECHL, the CCHA, Atlantic Hockey. And I'll have the NCAA power rankings. It's a little bit of a different perspective from the polls. We've obviously got the two great polls from USCHO, from USA Today and USA Hockey Magazine. Great opportunity to kind of look at how people view teams across the country. And now you can also see how I think of things in college hockey as if my opinion uh, matters. Maybe it does to you. If you're listening to this podcast, hopefully it does because otherwise, why would you listen to me? All right. We are moving on to the Q&A portion, and uh, I want to say a special thanks to Colt, uh, the producer, for, for always bringing the questions to life here on the screen for those of you that are watching. Uh, but we will start our question and answer with at random task 68. He's got two questions. The first one is, cue for the next pod. Curious on your opinion of re on this recent trend of high-end Canadian prospects choosing Junior A in the USHL route towards the NCAA. Players like Owen Power, Kent Johnson, Matthew Wood, Adam Fantilli come to mind. Also, could the NIL change help or hurt in either direction? Well, of course, the, the name, image, and likeness uh, conversation continues to happen across college sports, and I think it only helps. It's just another uh, element. I will say that it's harder for hockey players to get those those NIL kind of situations. Though, you know, you look at uh, University of Michigan, I'm pretty sure Luke Hughes has a deal with Bauer. Um, uh, for an NIL deal that is, you know, completely legal within the NCAA uh, ranks now. So, you know, it's starting to happen a little bit, but it's not all the way there yet. So, um, so yeah, but I think that will help. But in terms of the trend, it has been very interesting um, to see kind of a lot of these top Canadian players. And it's not a bunch. It's, you know, one here, one there. Uh, and they're they're choosing this route. Now, I think part of it is stemmed from, you look at guys like Kale McCarr, Jack Eichel, um, you know, you, you think about different players, you know, Quinn Hughes, that are proving if you're an elite level talent and you go to the college route and you go through, you know, in Quinn Hughes' case, he went through the National Team Development Program, but in Owen Powers' case, he went through the USHL, through the Chicago Steel. Um, you know, Kent Johnson played in the BCHL, was able to stay close to home, kept his eligibility and then came down and played at the University of Michigan in his draft season. And, you know, so those, there's always going to be a few players like that, but it does feel like they're getting better. The players that are choosing that are getting better. Now, you go back years and years, Jonathan Taves did it, 
Um, you know, but there was kind of a gap for a while where a lot of the top Canadian players weren't coming down to play college hockey, but now we're seeing it in greater numbers. And so I think part of it is, it is just a choice by these players. You know, in Owen Powers' case, school was important to him. Getting the opportunity to go to college, that was always what he wanted to do. Kale McCarr, same thing. I mean, in Kale McCarr's case, he decides, all right, I'm going to play in the AJHL. He becomes a top-level talent, a, a number four overall draft pick. And he's committed to UMass, which at the time was not a place where you would see high-level NHL talent. Sure, they had Jonathan Quick and you know guys like that, that that played at UMass, but it wasn't the place where the top talent goes. Kale McCarr stuck with his guns and, and said, I'm going to UMass. I'm staying there. And then after two years, he's the best player in college hockey. He's got a Calder Trophy. He's got a Norris Trophy. He's got a Hobie Baker. He's got everything. I think players see that. They see that the, the opportunity that's in front of them to be that kind of player, to have that level of impact on a program. And I think it, it speaks to them. Um, but yeah, you've got Matthew Wood playing at UConn right now, and UConn looks outstanding this year. Another, that's another place where you don't necessarily see a ton of top-level draft talent. I just think the college route is, is, is doing a better job of, of sharing their story. Um, you know, College Hockey Inc. has certainly played a role in that. If you're not familiar, it's kind of like a, an unofficial marketing arm that's actually kind of controlled uh, uh, by the, the, the conference commissioners. So it's, it's separate from the NCAA, and it allows them to go out and connect with players and just kind of preach the, the, the good fortune of, of, of going to college hockey and, and why it might be a good route. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of rambling on here, but I, what, I, what I would say is that I think that these players in particular, um, you look at Miles Wood, you look at Adam Fantilli, you look at Owen Power, they're all guys that physically developed a lot earlier than many of their peers. And in that situation, I think going to college, playing against older, stronger players was beneficial to them. Um, also going to the USHL at 16, having a chance to, you know, play a different role. Like, you know, I think that's, a, that's another key factor is that, you know, they go to the USHL, the USHL has gotten better. It's become a better developmental route for them. It's become more palatable for the Canadian player. Like we're seeing with Macklin celebrating right now, who, who went to the Chicago steel. Um, not every single team is going to have that same level of success of attracting the top players. The Chicago steel certainly have had that. Um, I think the Muskegon Lumberjacks are, you know, they've got Sasha Boybear. Um, you know, they've 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 had they had Andre Svechnikov, so they've had other players that, you know, come to the league at 16 years old and have 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 made a, uh, a real impact. But the more it happens, the trend continues, right? The more we see it, the more the more these players are going to make those decisions. Uh, it's great for college hockey. It's not really negatively impacting the CHL because they're still getting their top players as well. I just think it's making every, you know, the entire landscape is better. And for these players, it's all about individual situation. The, the second question from Random Task, I think this is an interesting one because it, it gets uh, to a lot of different points here about the NIL change. Um, and he asks, could NIL change the relationship between the NCAA and the CHL where playing in the CHL didn't make players NCAA ineligible? Thanks. Excited to follow your work this season. Well, thank you very much for the kind words and, and thank you for following the work thus far. Um, what I will say about the NIL situation and the fact that, you know, players are now able to make money and, and they're, you know, the college athletes are becoming increasingly professionalized um, in to a certain extent. I do think that that will eventually have an impact on whether or not CHL players are, should be allowed to be eligible. I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a slower process. It's not going to be immediate. I don't think uh, you know there's going to be a lot of different changes there. 
One situation I want to point out is one that's actually in the CCHA, Bowling Green State. Austin Swankler is one of their top players for Bowling Green. He played a full season with the Erie Otters. He was able to go through and, and re, regain his college eligibility um, without having to sit out. And I'm not exactly sure the full specifics of that because it's, it's completely unique to him. It hasn't been you know, widely. like There have been players that were CHL in the CHL that eventually re, regained their college eligibility through a process. I think that that could potentially happen more frequently, um, especially with that precedent set with Swankler. Um, a, lot, a lot of different circumstances that we don't know. But I do think that we are trending in a direction where players from the CHL would be able to regain college eligibility. The thing that I think neither side wants is going back and forth. You know, obviously in junior, you're eligible to play until you're, you know, 20 into your 20 age 21 season in college you there's no real age limit you just have to complete your eligibility within the allotted time once you start it and so i i think that we are going to get to a place where there are more players that do that i just don't think we're going to see a mass movement either way because something like this a, a move like that i think the nhl is going to have some say in it i think that the chl is going to have say in it the ncaa obviously will have say in it um but really the ball is in the court of the NCAA and they, they have to, and that they're not beholden to, you know, what the NHL needs for their development. They're only beholden to what will make the NCAA better. Um, and often, you know, increasing the player pool certainly would help. Um, but then you also, the, the entire ecosystem would be impacted by that because, you know, Canadian universities are starting to get fewer players or, or, or the quality's changing, you know, there, there's all sorts of moving parts. So, I do think that there will have to be a time where all the stakeholders get together and they talk about what's the best path forward for hockey. Um, and then, you know, the, on the college side, they the competition committee would eventually have to make their suggestions to the NCAA about what to do about this. And it'll take a long time. And as we know, nothing moves particularly fast in the NCAA. So something to think about there. All right. Next question. We got a college hockey specific question and I can sense the urgency from at a corporals here. What on earth is going on with the Wisconsin men's hockey program? They aren't competitive anymore. Is it recruiting? A good question. And Wisconsin does not look like they're going to be a lot better this year. Um, they are struggling out the gates. They are 0 4 to start their season. And I can tell you, I don't think it's necessarily recruiting in the traditional sense that they are still getting top players. They had Cole Caulfield who won a Hobie Baker there. They had Dylan Holloway who made the opening night roster of the Edmonton Oilers this year. They had Alex Turcotte who was a number five overall pick. This year they have Charlie Stramel. They still have Corson Kuhlmans who was a first round draft pick. They're getting the top end players. Where I think Wisconsin is struggling at this point is they don't have a middle tier. They have the top guys and then they have a much lower tier in the next level of players. That does come down to recruiting, player identification, things like that. They did make a coaching change uh, at, among assistants last year. Um, you know, They have not gotten good goaltending uh, or consistent goaltending. They've kind of run through goalies annually. That's not a, a way to have sustainable success. Um, obviously, when you get the top end players, they're not there for as long. You get Cole Caulfield for two seasons. You, know, you, get, um, you only get Alex Turcotte for one season. Dylan Holloway for two seasons. So, you know, you, there, it's hard to get sustainable competitiveness. Um, so what I think Wisconsin needs to do is, is they need to 
get better at identifying those guys that are going to be there for four years, that are going to be able to make an impact for four years. Um, and, and that they're also developing those players while they're there and making sure that they're taking the next steps forward. Um, because I, I think, you know, Wisconsin still is going to attract players. They have some one of the best facilities in college athletics. They have a great strength and conditioning program. It's a Big Ten school. If you've ever been to Madison, you don't want to leave half the time. It's a beautiful place, um, you know, to 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 go to school and to to play. You know, and and I think Tony Granado's on the hot seat. Uh, he has to show that there's improvement in the program because he came in with a lot of fanfare. And there have been moments for the program, but there has not been sustained success. And um, I think it's really, it's going to be a real challenge for the University of Wisconsin to see what happens. And I, I also think if you're a Buffalo Sabres fan, think about, you know, when Wisconsin hired Tony Granato, they basically came down to, I think it was Tony Granato, Marco Siki, and Don Granato. And Barry Alvarez, to his credit, came up with the, the basically said, Instead of hiring one of you, how about I hire all three of you? And then Tony will be the head coach. Don will be an assistant. And Mark will be an assistant. And it, I, I thought that was great. A three-headed monster. Don Granato ends up leaving for the Chicago Blackhawks. Now he's the head coach of the Buffalo Sabres. And you, you just wonder, like, what, what would have happened if, let's say, Don Granato was the head coach, a guy who's been in junior hockey and the national team development program who's had a, a larger background of developing players? Um, than Tony has because Tony comes from the NHL. You have to remember that's that that's not a league where you're trying to develop players. It's also a league where you're not having to recruit and identify. All that's kind of done for you. Um, I think Tony Granato still, you know, he has a chance to to he deeply cares about that program. There's no question about it. But what's what they've been doing hasn't been working, and I don't think there's an easy fix for it at this point. And certainly not just a coaching change or recruiting or any. I think there's there's a lot of work that needs to be done on the program in the long term. All right, our next one comes from at Howard Schuster. Is Clarkson's 0-3 start what we can expect the rest of the season or just a slow start? Man, I got to say, Clarkson starting this slow definitely surprised me. I think they're a well-coached team. I think they have, they have strength in a lot of different positions. They have good size on their back end. They have good skill up front. Uh, but it's certainly not the start that they wanted to have. And, you know, I, I will say Clarkson uh, and Casey Jones has done a phenomenal job of, of building that program into being a contender in the ECAC. Um, and they have, you know, they're not going to get the elite recruit. Um, you know, they're not going to get the guys that are exceptional talents like, you know, the University of Michigan and BU, like the, the, a multitude of top-end players. But I do think that, you know, for them, for Clarkson and and for the program, I, I do think it's just a slow start. Like I, I, you can't read too much into October results. Um, but yes, they lost to New Hampshire, Merrimack, and Providence. Um, so all hockey East schools. So the non-conference schedule has not been kind to them. They'll play Mercyhurst next week. So they get um, uh, this weekend rather. You know, so that should be a game they could be able to win. I think Mercyhurst is zero and six right now. So you know that's a kind of get off the mat kind of series. Um, and then we'll have them on Flow Hockey on the 28th and 29th as they take on Lake Superior State. So, you know, I, I do think it's it's just a slow start. I I had Clarkson as a ranked team coming into the season. Um, I have a, them as a team that I think can compete for the ECAC title. Um, but they haven't shown it yet. They need to get better goaltending. They need to be be able to defend better. 
um, and play harder. And I think that's going to help them quite a bit because that's a team that, you know, should be better than, than it has been so far. All right. Uh, our next one comes from Sant- at Santos K Santos. Would love to know about free agents that you think are ready to turn pro. I f- I'm going to assume that we're talking about college free agents, and I did want to direct everybody, if you haven't yet checked it out, on flowhockey.tv, uh, you can check out my top free agents um, from college hockey this season. And that list is led by Jake Livingstone at Minnesota State. And Livingstone has had an incredible start to his season. Uh, Minnesota State just swept uh, Minnesota Duluth after a split against Minnesota. So they're probably feeling a little bit like state champions right now. Uh, But Jake Livingstone's a 23-year-old offensive-minded defenseman. He's got good size. He's got the right shot. He defends well. Um, That's a guy that I think, you know, teams have been circling him since his freshman season. And he's decided to go back, decided to go back. You know, and and Minnesota State has had some, some free agent defensemen. I think Connor Mackey and Daniel Brickley are two of the more recent ones that, you know, signed and, um, uh, you know, had an opportunity. Wyatt Amet last year uh, with with Colorado now. So, you know, those guys haven't necessarily made an NHL impact yet. I think Jake Levingstone has the profile that's a little bit more conducive to um, making in the NHL. I think he's, you know, he probably wouldn't be more than like a five, six guy, you know, a five or six defenseman on a team, but that's one. Also, Akito Hirose, also on Minnesota State, another guy that NHL teams have been circling for the last three years. He's decided to go back to, to school. That won't change. I mentioned him earlier. Jacob Bankston from Lake Superior State. Big guy, good size, you know, age 23. Parker Ford from Providence, another guy that that you know, he's been in the college game. He decided to go back for a senior year. He had NHL deals on the table last season, was considering signing, ends up going back to school. Uh, I think he has designs on, you know, staying closer to home if he has an opportunity to play in the NHL. Um, those are guys to definitely watch because I think NHL teams will be watching them very closely. Um, and those are, those are the guys that I think are the closest in terms of being able to sign and maybe push for spots um, with, with Livingstone being the number one free agent, at least on my board at this point of the season. All right, next one comes from at Jake Baskin, play-by-play. What undrafted freshmen have impressed you so far in the NCAA? Well, it's still very early, but I think one guy that stands out is Ryan McAllister from Western Michigan. And the reason I point him out is because he's an old, you know, he basically maxed out his junior eligibility. So he came to college at 20 years old. Um, and so he's an older freshman. He's undrafted. But last season in the AJHL, he had 139 points for the Brooks Bandits. And you know, Brooks, of course, is a, the, the team that Kale McCarr played for in the AJHL. Um, and McAllister has started the season with eight points in five games for, for Western Michigan. Now the Western's kind of been a little bit up and down, but they've, they played really well lately and they needed freshmen to step up. McAllister has done that so far. His season in the AJHL last year, very quietly was the 10th highest scoring season in the history of the Alberta junior hockey league. So he put up numbers that guys we hadn't seen in a long time in that particular league. So to see that he's made an instant impact for Western isn't necessarily a surprise because he's an older freshman, but that's a guy to keep an eye on and certainly one that, you know, possibly down the road, NHL teams are going to be looking at as a free agent. So I'm going to call out Ryan McAllister for that question. Great question there from Jake. 
All right, more college hockey and more prospect talk. And this one comes from at Michigan Law Grad. Thoughts on Seamus Casey's early play at Michigan? And what have you heard about Frank Nazar's injury? All right, I'll address the first part first. As of right now, so Frank Nazar has not yet played for the University of Michigan. He's the first-round draft pick of the Chicago Blackhawks. Details have been hard to come by about what really is going on, why he hasn't played. Um, all I've been told is that it's believed to be that, that he, he will likely be out long-term. Um, it isn't necessarily, I have no definitive timeline on when he'll be back. I have no idea exactly what the uh, situation is that's keeping him out. Injury, illness, I'm not, I'm not quite sure. Um, but all I've heard is, you know, and this is, you know, don't go saying like, you know, this is for sure. But, you know, I've heard that there's fear that it could be uh, a longer term situation. Not sure exactly what that'll mean, but uh, certainly that's a player that we hope comes back. As for Seamus Casey, what a tremendous start to his collegiate career. Um, he is a guy that has always, I, I enjoy watching him play because he is a brilliant skater. He's got tremendous skill, but the numbers just never came for him at the National Team Development Program, not at the level where you would say, okay. And so I thought, you know, why, why is that not happening? Well, it's starting to happen now at the University of Michigan. And that is really, you know, when you see a guy take a next step up, it's always very interesting to see. But Seamus Casey, as of right now, already has five points through his first four collegiate games, a goal and four assists. So he's really taking off, and it's been great to see. So he's actually, you know, he's he's scoring at a, at a pretty decent clip here. He's ahead of Luke Hughes in scoring right now, which, you know, I certainly wouldn't have, uh, suggest, wouldn't, wouldn't have seen uh, coming. But, you know, that's a guy that, you know, the New Jersey Devils have a real good draft pick. They obviously have Luke Hughes as well, but you know, I think Casey's one of those guys where he's probably going to be there for two, three, maybe even, you know, probably three years um, at the University of Michigan and just continuing to get better and better. But what a tremendous start. And uh, it's good to see that the, the skill and the, the production is starting to match the skill that he certainly showed. You know, I had a lot of people say he, he, they remind, that he reminded them of Brock Faber, not in the style of play, but in that he didn't have a lot of, Brock Faber didn't have a lot of production, but he went to college and he was an instant impact guy and he's only gotten better and better. Um, you know, so maybe that's the case too for Seamus Casey. And if Brock Faber is your best case scenario, it's a pretty darn good, uh, uh, best case there for him. All right. Well, thank you for that question. All right. We are going to stick with the university of Michigan, and this is a little bit more draft related. Uh, this one comes from at Steven 39, who we, uh, get on here quite a bit and, uh, always ask good questions. So happy to do it. We are already hearing that Adam Fantilli is turning the, the 2023 draft into a three-man race. Could this expand any further for those teams that may be tanking? And who are the names that could expand that discussion further? Good question. We're going to stick with Fantilli just to start. As I mentioned, he's got that production that's similar to Jack, uh, Jack Eichel in his freshman season. And I think it's been a, you know, I, I don't think, I honestly don't think anybody's going to catch Connor Bedard for number one. But I do think that Adam Fantilli, of, between him and Matt Vaymichkov, he has the better chance of the two to be the number two pick. Um, and I think it's partially, you know, Mitchkov hasn't had a tremendous start to his season. He did start injured. Um, he's not as good a skater. He's obviously got the contract issues. And we've got a Mitchkov question coming up in a little bit as well, where we'll talk a little bit more about that. But I would also say that, um, that in this particular situation, Fantilli, he's got all the tools and now the production is there too. And it's, it's been there since, you know, he had a tremendous season last year, one of the best all time draft minus one seasons of the USHL. And now he's having, you know, a season so far, it's early yet, but so far, 
comparable to what Jack Eichel did at Boston University, and he became the number two pick behind Connor McDavid. I feel like this season is shaping up very similarly to that. And Connor Bedard already has 20 points uh, in the WHL, um, you know, I think in nine, 10 games so far, 11 games. So he's just been on an absolute tear. But Adam Fantilli is a guy that I think teams are will be exceptionally happy about, just as the Buffalo Sabres were with Jack Eichel when they initially got him. Didn't get McDavid. That was disappointing. Got a really good player. And obviously things kind of diverge, and there's been a whole different controversy there with the injury and everything else that happened that led to him now being with the Vegas Golden Knights. But to me, I would say that uh, you know Adam Fantilli is a lot more than a consolation prize if you don't win the lottery. Um, but in terms of other players that can expand um, that whole idea, you know, I think I'm looking at some of the guys that you could get in that top 10 now and, and guys like Braden Yeager and, and certainly, uh, you know, Mitch Kava, we talked about already, um, Leo Carlson in Sweden, look out for him. I mean, he is playing great to start the year in the, the Swedish hockey league. That's a guy that is absolutely knocking on the door of this top five and, and, and certainly forcing his way in there. You know, I think uh, a lot of people had thought Delibor Dvorsky would be in that conversation. I don't think that's going to happen. He hasn't played particularly well um, over the last several weeks and months. And it, going back to the World Juniors just hasn't made enough of an impact there. Um, but, you know, I think we've talked a lot about the WHL guys. And one name to also keep an eye on, it's still early yet, but we've talked about him a lot on this podcast. Will Smith, the National Team Development Program. He's averaging close to two points per game. He has points in every game so far for the U18s. He has been putting together highlight reels like you wouldn't believe at the NTDP. Um, the U18s actually went, uh, they, they won nine consecutive games, which is a record for the NTDP. And then they ended up losing their 10th game to Bethel University, a Division Three school, after having beaten five Division One opponents. Uh, so they were a little shorthanded as well. They, they only had three lines and, and I think uh, five defensemen in that game. Um, so there's... A lot left there, but Will Smith uh, is on a tremendous tear right now. So keep an eye on him. He could very well sneak into that top 10 discussion um, and really expand it. I think we've got a really strong draft here, a lot of good performances so far. All right, as I mentioned, we had another question about Matt Vay-Mitchkov, and this one comes from at Peter Gaeta. Everyone talks about how he signed through 25-26, but there is no agreement between the NHL and KHL to honor contracts, correct? So it comes down to him deciding where to play. Not that simple. Um, not that simple. And unfortunately for NHL teams, you know, I would, I, th- you're correct that the agreement between the player agreement between the KHL and the NHL is no longer in existence. It was, there was no business ties between the NHL and the KHL. That only complicates things further on the player front. The way that the KHL is working now, if you sign a KHL deal, you're not getting out of it. Um, there used to be a way for players to buy out. Their, the remaining years in their contract or buy back the remaining years in their contract. That doesn't really exist anymore. You will have to wait until his contract is over. Now, the other thing is, is there's the whole issue of, of, of legal transfers between the IIHF. That's one thing that the IIHF does govern is transfers between countries and leagues and different things like that. And I would be almost willing to guarantee that they will not sign a transfer card for a player that's under contract. Um, and so that's, that's, Something that, you know, if Mitch Cobb were to some way get out of his contract, uh, then that changes the dynamic. I don't think it's that simple. And I certainly don't think the KHL is going to let him out of his contract um, unless there is some significant final financial strife, which, 
as we know, has been kind of happening with uh, with Russia and obviously everything that's going on there. So the contract is the contract. It will continue to impact Mitchkov's draft stock. He needs to play better this season. He hasn't, you know, he's, he's still dealing with the injury and there he's, he's been up and down. He's kind of been yo-yoing around and uh, the KHL model, I think, is anti-development. Um, unfortunately, it's not really anything that NHL teams have control over, but we've seen far too many of those players go over there, and then they show some some real promise, and then they get to their pro team, and they just don't get the minutes to to do anything with it. Um, so something to keep an eye on there. Uh, sticking with the NHL draft talk, and at Red Wings Rain Man asks, is Colin Kessler from Sioux City a high pick as an overager in the 2023, having a great start to this, his season? Well, I don't exactly know, you know, what what a high pick might be to you. I think that, you know, for in Kessler's case, he actually played, you know, prep school hockey last year. He's a first year uh, USHL guy. Um, you know, didn't get drafted last season, but as you mentioned, having a really good start. I think we're going to continue to see a lot of players that were passed over in previous drafts. Get another opportunity. And in, in Kessler's case, he has an opportunity to, to play in the USHL if he has a really strong season. Yes, I do think he's a guy that could be another second-year player that, that gets drafted. I don't necessarily think it'll be high. Usually, draft re-entry guys, you don't see him go much higher than the third round. There are those, those occasional guys that sneak into the late second, or you know, but I, I think in most cases, you know, those second and third and fourth year, you know, the whoever those those guys that have passed through the draft before. I wouldn't call him necessarily high picks, but you know, a mid-round pick is not out of the question for Kessler. He's got a lot of work left to do. Um, it's too early for me to say, based on how what he's done in the USHL, yep, he's for sure going to get drafted. Um, but good guy to point out because there are a lot of these players that that have an opportunity to uh, show themselves very well in the USHL, and Kessler's you know off to a good start. So we'll keep an eye on him. Next one comes from at Gene Parmesan, and he asks. Would Marco Rossi benefit from another year in the NHL? Albeit a small sample size, he's been struggling to carve out ice time with the big club. Well, when you're the Minnesota Wild, you're in a position right now where you're expected to continue to compete. Um, you know, yes, you lost Kevin Fiala, but you've got Marc-Andre Fleury. Yes, you got blown out in your first game of the season, but, you know, you're bouncing back and you're, you're, you've got enough talent on that roster to be able to, to compete. For Marco Rossi, I think right now what the Wild did is they rewarded him for a tremendous preseason, and it was absolutely deserved. He was great in the preseason. He produced a lot of points. But once the games go live, the role's going to change. The opportunity isn't going to be there, and that's kind of what Marco Rossi is dealing with. The short answer to your question is that I don't think it would be a bad thing to send him back to Iowa and play for the Iowa Wild in the AHL. He did very well there last year. There's more of his game that you want him to continue to grow. You want him to grow in that top six role. However. Based on how he played last year in the AHL and based on what we've seen so far, I think he deserves a bit of a longer leash and a lot more patience. And I think that, you know, if he plays upwards of nine, 10 minutes a night in the NHL, assuming that he's getting consistent time, maybe he gets some power play time here and there, that could be more beneficial to him in the long run because he's still playing a regular shift, albeit not as regular as some of the other guys. So um, still, I think he's got a, a great opportunity to be a special player. I think the Wild would be patient with him. Excuse me again. All right. We've only got two more questions left, and these are more NHL-related. Um, and we will go to uh, at Martin Devin. What do you think of the Velarde byfield combo so far? 
All right, so you got Gabe Velarde, Quinton Byfield playing for the Los Angeles Kings. A couple of young guys that have kind of been up and down. You know, they Byfield's still very young. Velarde has kind of been through it. And there was a lot of talk that maybe Velarde would even get waived, and I think he probably would have gotten claimed if if LA was going to waive him. But I really like Gabe Velarde, and he's been through a lot. He had a back injury that you know seemed to threaten his career at one point. Um, he's managed to carve carve it out and. He's off to a great start. I mean, there's chemistry there. That those are two guys that have you know decent decent size. They're hard to contain. They're getting to the interior. I like the way that Byfield is playing with pace this year. We started to see it at the rookie camp in San Jose that I was at. We're seeing it now in the NHL. We're seeing that confidence. And then when you've got Gabe Velarde finishing off those those opportunities that you're creating, it's a, it's a great situation. So I would say we got two young players here. The Kings have kind of been saying, all right, we need these guys to show up for us. They've been doing it. It's going to be a very strong showing for those two guys. It's been a strong showing for those two guys throughout the little bit of the season. Keep an eye on that because if they, if the Kings get scoring depth and those young guys are producing, that makes them a heck of a lot more competitive and gives them a chance to achieve a lot of the goals that they have this season. All right, our last question is very, very self-indulgent for me, but I think at MVP96 for asking it because – he asks, are your legs tired from the victory lap after Elmer Soderblom's debut? He looks like the real deal. Um, first of all, thank you, Pete, for remembering that um, I am a big Elmer Soderblom fan. For those that don't know, Elmer Soderblom is a rookie on the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, he was a late draft pick, but he's a six foot eight forward with tremendous hands. Uh, he is a unicorn in the world of prospects. Um, and the first time I saw him was at the under 18 world championship in 2019. He won a gold medal with Sweden. And I see this gangly teenager, 17 years old, who just handled pucks like it was nothing. You know, you see a lot of big guys, they fight the puck, they take longer to develop. Well, Solderblom has been on a rapid trajectory towards the NHL and then makes Detroit's opening night lineup. Scores a goal in his first game. Now, I can't, take a victory lap on Elmer Soderblom because I didn't rank Elmer Soderblom. I did, however, say he was an intriguing late rounder. So that when I was at ESPN and I would do draft rankings, I would always, and I still do, I will continue to do this. Guys that I didn't rank, but I really, really liked, I would always kind of have in this next, like the, my sleeper category. And Elmer Soderblom was one of the, the guys that I had to have in it because I had never seen a guy that big handle a puck that fluidly. Um, and it didn't lead to a lot of offense at that time. He wasn't making, he was, he wasn't getting big minutes, but every time he touched the puck, I was like, he can make positive plays. And so, um, I was only kind of right about him because if I was going to take a victory lap, it would have been because I ranked him in the top 50 in his draft year. And I was like, wow, look at how smart I am when nobody else saw it. But really, you know, identifying players like him where you can see that one thing. Because with him, I was like, I'm not sure if the hockey sense was going to be there. I wasn't sure if he was going to be strong, you know, how he was going to fill out. I wasn't sure if the skating was going to be good enough. But you see the hands on a play. You say, I've never seen a player the moves like that at that size. That sticks in your brain. And it allows, you know, and I think that's another thing that Detroit has been very good at is identifying those guys that have that one to two skills and then, you know, just continuing to foster their development. I think that Detroit is a very hands-on development team. They have guys that are out and, you know, Nicholas Cronwell's out there. You, you often see Dan Cleary out there. You know, you see a lot of guys that are connected to the organization at rinks that aren't necessarily in a scouting capacity. They're there to help with the development. 
I think that's something Detroit has done very well. So they are the ones that can take the victory lap. And also, congratulations to Derek Lalonde for uh, winning his uh, first two NHL games as a head coach. Um, and Derek, uh, you know, former longtime college assistant, he's also the head coach of the Toledo Walleye in the ECHL and the Green Bay Gamblers in the USHL, which reminds you that, uh, you know, on Flow Hockey, we've got a lot of leagues where we're, where we're showcasing the development of not only the players, but also the coaches. So a huge congratulations to Newsy on his first couple of wins. He's one of the great guys in hockey. I think anybody that knows him is just absolutely thrilled uh, for his success with Detroit. And he's got Big Elmer uh, to help to help him along there. So all good there. All right, everybody, that is uh, going to wrap it up for our question and answer period. As always, please uh, leave a kind rating and review. It helps us get the word out about the podcast. Subscribe uh, on your app of choice if you haven't yet. And also, you can always watch us on flowhockey.tv. Really proud to be part of the Flow Sports Podcast Network and super excited for the start of the ECHL season, which comes up next week. And as always, you can watch a whole bunch of games every weekend and throughout the week on flowhockey.tv. So make sure you join us. We're having a blast there. A lot more content to come, so stay tuned there. As for now, I'm Chris Peters. This is Talking Hockey Sense. We will see you next week. 